Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 331 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I chat to Ryan Kubik and Drew Gingrich of Ryan Kubik Games about their mind-bending sliding puzzle game, Wildfire Swap. I first encountered this game way back in 2019. The late summer of 2019, no less, and... Seattle Indie Expo, which happens right at the same time as PAX West. It's one of my favourite events during PAX West, apart from PAX West itself, because it's basically they give over a hotel sort of conference room to a bunch of indie developers in a nearby hotel to the PAX West event, And you just trot along and just play a bunch of games by a bunch of local developers. And it's really, really good. And uh, Wildfire Swap really caught my eye. It's just bonkers, really mind-bending game uh, where you slide fires away from buildings and or buildings away from fires and trees towards fires and then grass towards... It's just really all about fire and sliding kind of the clues in the title so it's not really cryptic but um, we do expand on the concept of lateral thinking and how important it is to really exercise that way of thinking about things and also how it can help with solving the puzzles of wildfire swap of which there are many so without further ado let us hear me from the past talk to Ryan and Drew Chris if you would be so kind (laughs) 
Ryan and Drew. Hi. Hello. You, hello. Could you please tell us who you are and what you both do? Hi, yeah. Uh, my name's Ryan. I, I make video games. Uh, <laughs> uh, most specifically, lately, I made a game called Wildfire Swap. Drew? Um, yeah, I work tech in the day, and I have made uh, most of the puzzles and the art for Wildfire Swap alongside Ryan and our friend Wes, who did the music. He did. What a fabulous job. And we can blame Drew, by the way, as you scream at the screen, trying yeah. to figure <laughs> something out, going, this is stupid. This is not possible. No, this can't be done. The amount of times I've had to get away from the screen and walk back and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, Hopefully people scream scream out their successes. <laughs> yeah, they are, yeah, that's more of the, the yelling of the successes are way more than the screaming of like, this is not possible. This is rubbish. Why is there so much grass on this level? Etc. <laughs> grass so, is a very useful tool. <laughs> it it went can, everywhere. Yeah, indeed. So, um, again, Ryan, if you again, we'll just alternate between Ryan and Drew, everyone. So we're going to ping pong between the two. So the second question is this: How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Yeah, um, I think for me, it started when I was younger and played a lot of like uh, Tycoon and like RTS games. Uh, I, when I look back at it now, I, I played with a lot of like level editors um, and like, it was always, it was hard to like uh, explain to other people who were playing like Zelda on, on their, on their NES or whatever. Uh, and all I had was a, a, a 95 windows computer uh, or whatever. Um, like what I liked about games, and it turns out that I just liked making them. I <laughs> I didn't know it for a long time, uh, so that's sort of where I started. That's fantastic. I mean, the, the, basically, you made your own maps for things like maybe, but Warcraft Two, or maybe sort of Age of Empires, more like or stuff like that, or just Age of, Age of Empires was the big one. Yeah, that was yeah. I think. I try to remember. I think that was that was one of my first video games. It's definitely the one that I have the the earliest, most fond memories for uh, is Age of Empires. Nice. Uh, that just making me feel old because the first one for me was indeed Pong. I wish I was joking, <laughs> but it was not. Yeah, that's right. Mid seventies. Classic. That was me. Mid. I do remember it. I remember it. I had to put me in a box to reach the the buttons. Great yellow thing it was. <laughs> Still remember it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm that old. I actually went to see the first Star Wars episode four in the cinema. Jesus, anyway. just, just Star Wars then, right? It was just Star Wars then. No one knew what it was. You know, I lived in a world before Star Wars. Think on that for a moment, everyone. Anyway, Drew, how did you make your wow. start? Yeah, no, how do you think you'll start making video games? <laughs> um. I, I grew up enjoying video games, but my household didn't really like games that much, so I never considered it as a actual career I could do. Um, fast forward to 2015, I got a bachelor's degree in chemistry and realized I didn't actually like lab work that much, so had kind of a midlife, early midlife crisis, I don't know. Um, and... And I had a mentor who was like, well, what if you want to do something like games? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is a, a real thing I could do. So since then, I've just been 
trying to figure out how to make them. Um, I met Ryan at the Portland Indie Game Squad, uh, which is a awesome game community in Portland. And he had already started on Wildfire Swap. Uh, I saw it at a few demos. I was like, man, that's really cool. I kind of want to try making those levels. Um, Because Ryan and I had already been friends and we had talked about it a bit. So yeah, he let me come onto the project. And two years later, here we are. First real game I've made aside from some game jams. Yeah, um, yeah, game jams are extraordinary things. It's such a bountiful... Oh yeah, of, um, reservoir of creativity that's just tossed on the floor. Sometimes you just go, "That's a really good concept, but not a game, is it?" No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And it's sometimes sometimes they go places. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes they do keep going, but other times, not so much. But uh, okay, well that's that's that, 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 that's a good start. You know, it's like actually, you, you 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 go one place and you you go to a point, you know, to the point where you actually you know go off and do your bachelor's degree and go you know what i just don't like this <laughs> and it happens yeah it happens i'm still kind of working in science so i'm i'm weirdly split between a lot of interests right now that's fair that's all right it doesn't really matter as long as you're doing what you like doing i guess yeah it's fun it's fun on multiple fronts now yeah yeah so this next question is something that i would uh want both of you maybe to answer more or less at the same time to think about because it's very difficult to answer and it's somewhat nebulous but I think as creators I have to ask you it ask it of you and that is what do you believe are your biggest influences hmm ah uh, boy what is the thing that uh, you find yourself orbiting more than anything else without with whether you like it or not yeah um I think it's it's hard to nail down that stuff. <laughs> Obviously, you just said, um, but I think uh, a common theme in the stuff that I find myself working on is like uh, like systemic style games. Mm. Um, like at the core, like uh, like Wildfire Swap originally was a it was actually a, it was actually a jam uh, jam project, but um, it was just this system of like playing with the fire and watching how it spread in like a randomly generated space. Um, and I think a lot of games, uh, like I, have been drawn to like a lot of like roguelike kind of stuff recently, like, like Splunky and Cinco Palace and stuff. And all, all these games that sort of have these, um, rich systems that I really just kind of love to poke and prod at. Um, and if I, if I had to kind of nail down one thing, I think it's those just sort of, complex interacting uh systemic things right i definitely feel that you from what we've been what i've been playing a wildfire swap is the feeling of here's a cyst here's a model a concept a thing that has interactions that are very limited that do then create effects based on what you've just done can you predict what those effects will be and that's that's a system uh and uh i mean what i've just described is very cold and clinical but and of course (laughs) one fire swap is way more than that but that's ultimately what we're talking about and uh i'm not surprised that you're drawn to that what about you drew is it a similar sort of thing um yeah it's a hard question Mm. uh in terms of playing games i really like games that um, explore narrative through gameplay 
Mm. Um, or just have like more subtle narrative things. Um, but I, I'm all over the place with the types of games I like to play. Um, in terms of wildfire swap, uh, I think I really like learning stuff. I really like making mental models of things and designing puzzles. Our biggest goal was not to stump the player, but to teach the player. So that, um, that worked out really well with, with how I enjoy learning and stuff. Um, and I love sharing that with, with people too. I've done some teaching positions in the past. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely think a game like wildfire swap is a, uh, mental training tool uh, for for someone like me especially, but we'll talk about that later. Basically, I'm very reactive, which is not very well attuned. My brain is prefers to be reactive to things rather than predicting what's going to happen, um, which is fine for tactical play, but of, of games, you know, but uh, like XCOM and stuff, that's great because you do have to react to the situation as it unfolds. But when it comes to games like Wildfire Swap, it doesn't work at all. You have to do predict what's going to happen two or three moves ahead, which is not something I'm very good at. And this it does a great job of training that. But we'll talk about that later. So next question. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Next question um, to you is, um, again, both of you, I think, probably would have individual answers to this. So again, Ryan and then Drew. But um, what developer... Do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh boy, um, I it's tough to tough to say like the most, um, but I can definitely say uh, top of mind right now a developer that I think is uh, really inspiring for me is uh, Image and Form. Oh uh, yes, they, we've had them. Yeah, on. they yes. Oh, awesome! Yes. Yeah, the, just just the way that they have this incredible ip across like all kinds of different genres and like i i just really admire their like their studio's sort of identity i guess uh i i really like like i mean dig and quest and and all of them were, were just great games individually but i think it's really just impressive like how many things they've delivered at like such a consistent level of quality uh as a developer, I just like that. That that's like <laughs> aspirational goals uh, is one day to to kind of hit those sort of marks. So, um, yeah, that would definitely be my current pick. No, it's a really good shout. I think uh, still one of my favorite DS games. Um, still World Dig is fantastic. People forget that like, that came in the deep. Yeah, it did. It did. I think that's what it first. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I played it on uh, on a computer. Yeah. I had you got. Uh, Dig two on the Switch has was like one of my favorite like yeah. Switch yeah. games. Uh, but Heist really is good. excellent and, and and Quest and Heist is awesome. But yeah. what people yeah. sort of talk about is the characters in it are a bit naive, the robots and they're blessedly like oh it's like there's something something a little bit off in the in the not in the bad way but it's like you have a lot of um, they're, yeah they're charming they're sort charming, of yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and we I, I like them a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did delve into that, like why are they like that, and we had a discussion about why they made them that way. He didn't have to, but they did. I'm going to look up this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we need to get them back on actually, because we do have return guests. So, um, Drew, what, what what who's your people or person that you look at and go, you you there, carry on doing the thing you're doing. 
Um, yeah, two of my favorite indie games are Celeste and Night in the Woods, and I don't think I'm alone in those by any means, no, but no. Um, they're great games, of course, but um, and I only know the the people who made them through Twitter, just uh, but they seem like great people, like people I'd want to hang out with. So, um, yeah, I don't think I'm I'm quite as in uh, knowledgeable about the indie game space as Ryan. Yeah, so, it is. It is vast. Quite no, but it it is vast. Yeah, and I've got a lot of friends in amongst it for obvious reasons. Although this show does interview all sorts of breadth of right across the the spectrum of, of video game development. Um, vast majority of the guests are indeed from the independent, and uh, yeah, I think um, there's a whole host of very interesting. And there's been a couple of games we've recently had on the, the limited color palette ones. They're really cool. Like I've only got three colors: black, white, and another. And that's quite fun mm-hmm. to just mess around with that concept of like, I don't have to do shades and stuff. We can mess around with this. It's called Shot in the Dark, and that was really that was really lovely to have them on, uh, chatting about extraordinary game. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, good, good, good shout on those two. So, um, last question of the first half. See, look, made it. Well done. Um, and this one should be quite easy, but I have to ask it because we're it's a video game podcast, so I'm kind of legally obliged to ask it. So, uh, Ryan, what are you playing right now? Classic. Um, I am well, <laughs> not playing too much right now. Um, we I had a little less time in the past few months. For, I know. Can't think why. For sh- shipping reasons, yeah. Um, but the the thing that I have been playing the most uh, since quarantine started is uh, Magic: The Gathering uh, in the uh, Commander format okay. online. Right. Um, I I have a bunch of friends from uh, from back home. I I moved uh, across the United States uh, a few years ago now, uh, and kind of stopped playing Magic for a long time after that. Um, but once quarantine hit, everybody was remote again, so we found a way to play. Uh, we like <laughs> had cards on a webcam and stuff, and we're playing uh, playing Commander that way. Um, and then recently switched to tabletop sim, uh, and it's like surprisingly great. Uh, so I think that's that's pretty much the, the consistent game I've been playing right now. Okay, what's what um, what uh, makes you what why what, why are you so drawn to um, Magic: The Gathering? What's the key to it that makes you keep returning to yeah. it even after all these decades of its existence yeah I, th- I think magic has this this kind of interesting sweet spot on on like because i mean tabletop games are always like a social hangout like thing first and foremost you know like it's you're there to hang out with people and then you have a fun thing to do while you're hanging out um and i think magic is just really good about letting you do a lot of uh, especially commander which is like a hundred card singleton format so the decks are like <laughs> The decks are more emphasized to be fun than like good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think they they just let you have a lot of different expression for like, oh, is my friend who plays this stupid ridiculous combo deck going to show up this this week? And like, is that going to kind of be an interesting like arch enemy social dynamic? Or are we all going to kind of play weird, uh, slow combo decks? Or or just like, I think it just it lends itself to a lot of. Uh, uh interesting situations that that can uh because it, it's not it's not it's not role play right but it it uh it lets you kind of take on roles all the same in the group uh like if you want to kind of you have one this... job is the common phrase i've heard like you, yeah <laughs> we, you, totally we yeah, discussed yeah. this at the beginning 
What are you doing? Well, I thought this would be more fun. We don't yeah, care what you yeah. think would be more fun. <laughs> you just do the thing. So Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it leads to a lot of fun social social dynamics and social yeah. expression stuff. So I, I think that's why it's, it's just such a good uh, returning game. Hmm. And it's a, it's a great model for uh, programming, believe it or not. That's what cards are. They're just interacting yeah. with things. That's, it really is. It's just a bunch of Boolean logic nonsense, if and all. Oh, yeah. That's all it is. That's probably partially part of my... Uh, probably part of why. My it's probably why. <laughs> it's like, programmer. <laughs> wait, this is just Boolean... Yeah, it is. Just in card form. Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the player who was like, so wait, how does this resolve again? And then I have yeah. to have everybody walk me through like the, the yeah. five-card step. Exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> See this combo... Don't call it that. It's an expression. Oh, please. <laughs> How does this for loop work again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or while loop, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no no programming, we said at the outset. Yeah, though. exactly. Where's That's the it. semicolon in this flavor text? Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. Drew, <laughs> no problem. There you go. Do you want to tell us what you're, what's distracting you at the moment? Uh, right now, it's a game called Divinity Original Sin 2. I know which this is, game. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's very D and D esque video game. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just I like it right now because it's got such a rich world. Like every interaction just feels really unique and good. Yeah. I mean, those Divinity games have been around for a lot longer than people realize. Most people think the first two games were actually there was much older games in the, in the early two thousands that they were basically Diablo like but not Diablo itself. Uh, and uh, when they came out, I was sort of confused. Like, was it, what, are they continuing those? Because, like I said, I'm old. And, oh, no, these are new games. And they are fantastic. And uh, But they are very deep. Uh, you're right. They, 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 uh, but uh, how many hours are you in kind of thing? Is it like? Oh, I uh, just got out of the tutorial uh, <laughs> area, so I think I'm 20 hours in. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Ways <laughs> off. Um, I did notice all you you're saying you like, Games with lots of the nuanced narrative and stuff. Have you heard of a game called Narita Boy? Uh, I looked at it briefly when I was looking up your podcast. So, yes, uh, yes, not too much, but no, it's just that's that's a thing you might want to. Yeah, that's yeah, I'll check yeah, it out. It's built it's built from the ground up to be around narrative the delivery of narrative. Yes, there's a wonderful game in there and extraordinary mechanics of adventuring and fighting and it's really good but it's really anchored around a concept of delivering a very unique and interesting story so highly recommend it's got it like a delightfully nostalgic aesthetic too yes yes an alternate 1980s with those old clunky machines that thankfully no longer exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah those crts and they were heavy and they were loud and, and they were generated lots of heat but there it is so no, really, good, really great selection of games, and uh, yeah, we're just, so we just uh, park part one and move on to part two, where we delve deep into Wildfire Swamp.
So, All right. Indeed. First question isn't a question. It's a request. Before we can delve into Wildfire Swap, I need to know, or more to the point, our audience needs to know what it is. So rather than me trying to interpret what it is, although that has happened in the past, either of you, Drew or Ryan, I don't mind, have a stab at describing what it is. Should I I take it or do you want to take it, Drew? (laughs) Uh, You should take it, yeah. Okay. Um, Let's see if my elevator pitch is is rusty or not. Um, So Wildfire Swap is a puzzle game where you swap tiles and fight fires. Uh, And so... It's you're presented with sort of like a grid of flammable objects and some houses that you need to protect. Uh, and your goal is to kind of swap around inflammable top um, inflammable tiles to protect the, those houses from the spreading fire. How was that? <laughs> That'll do for now. But there's there's nuance that we're going to delve into oh, yeah. now. There's stuff. I mean, what ultimately? Yes, you are meant to protect. The, the houses, but how does one do that? Well, dear listener, I'm going to attempt to answer that by asking questions about that. Does that work? Does that logic work? Question on anyway. So the first question hmm. is this, and you may think, where are you going with that? But here we go. It's really abstract. Then again, you've made an abstract game, so it's on your head. Ready? Here we go. Why is there only one action in World Fire Swap? That is a great question. Um, so, so expand to the listener. You have a grid of of elements. They start off as trees, and then it goes to other places. But and then you have um, a house which you can move, and you can basically swap the tiles orthogonally, which basically means up, down, or left and right. That's orthogonally. I, I don't know. Most people don't know what that word means. It's weird. But anyway, yeah, orthogonally only. And you, but that's all you can do. Why? Why? Yeah, totally. Um, so we have we have a few like uh, design pillars that we uh, kind of referred to while making the game, and uh, one of the important ones was simplicity. Um, we re- we've really like I think everywhere we've introduced something new, we wanted to see how far we can push what we've already got before we kind of pile more stuff on top. Uh, Partially just like part of that, I think, is is uh, I think Drew's uh, uh, scientific exploration uh, process lend itself really well to that. Um, but also just like as an indie to fully explore a puzzle game space. So we need to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, and so that's kind of like where we started. And then it turned out that we got an entire game out of it and didn't need to add anything more complicated. Uh, and I, I think we could probably even keep going. Uh, with what we've got here. So that was kind of where it started and then it never needed to grow. So the simple act of like, look, player, you can do this one thing. And that limit on the player and that limit of the model of the interaction with the game made it blossom. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I know that that sounds that sounds about right. Uh, we had this we had this um, part of the original the prototype was started with like a Conway's Game of Life-esque, like just a simulation that runs on its own. And we were like, what is the what is the minimal amount of interaction you can do, you can use as a player to have like a meaningful 
uh, like impact on that simulation. And it turned out the the orthogonal swapping was like you could have a lot of impact <laughs> with a series of orthogonal swaps on a on a simulation like that. Um, and yeah, keep it simple. That was that was the plan. Yeah, kind of worked with SimCity ish, right? Yeah. <laughs> In a way, in a way. Because you go, oh, I'm going to swap the commercial over to residential now. Oh, look, that worked. <laughs> oh, that kind of swapping, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd like to add, too, yes, that yes. I think a, a great rule of thumb is to try to put a lot of the mechanics in the environment because it's just so much easier to design around that. Like, if the player has a lot of actions they can take, then they can always take those actions, right? And you probably don't want to uh, take power away from the player. So um, it's already really hard to design around one or two mechanics. Uh, and if the player has too many things they can do, basically it limits what the what the game can do because they always have to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less is more. It's a, it's an old axiom because it's it's true. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the next question then. We've spoken about orthogonally and how can we go up, down, left, and right. And the same true for fire, because in wildfire swap, fire doesn't apparently jump diagonally. Now, this is really important. In fact, it gets you out of a lot of trouble knowing this to be true. Was this always the case? Uh, we did talk about diagonal fire. Actually, we thought maybe it would be cool as like a, a bonus world, but we never got there yet. Right. So, talk us through why that was the case. Why did you have the fire respect respect the movement of what the player had to do as well? Was that you know was it something you constantly took on board? Say, well, okay, well that's a limit of fire as well. The player can only move up, down, left, and right. So can the fire. Why? Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, again, the the Conway Game of Life simulation, or actually, I guess Conway uses diagonals as well. So maybe that wasn't pulled from that. But um, one thing we found, like designing puzzles early on, was like the fire is really powerful. <laughs> um, and if we if we gave it control, uh, or if if we let it spread even more than it does now, it would really kind of limit the design space that we we had to play with. Um, and I'm sure Drew can jump into that a little bit more in a second um but this was this was really a i think this was just the concept of like um because because early on we we actually had a lot of prototype ideas for like different ways the fire could spread faster um and one of them one of them is in the game or i guess a couple are in the game as Mm. you get further on through the game um, but we found it was it was a lot more interesting to introduce those as like Drew was saying earlier too uh, elements of the environment rather than properties of like uh, the fire itself. So certain things that get burned get burned in in new and interesting ways. But the fire itself will always have that sort of restrained uh, nature just because uh, uh, the fire going too fast becomes really hard to design around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, that's that's what I basically I, I would have thought if if you would have had diagonal movement of the fire, which you know physics physics makes that makes sense. But this is a game for pity's sake, you know, let it go. Um, you know, uh, it would have made the maps or the areas much bigger. That's my guess. It would have been quite unwieldy because you'd have to escape 
the fire much much further away than you would normally at the moment. It's much you can have the more condensed levels that you've got um, and much more. So yeah, I suspect that, that was the case. It's just a uh, yeah, I just found it. It's got me out of a lot of holes, <laughs> knowing that that's a thing. Like you can't reach me, na 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 na. So oh, good. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I've found. So well done to to you and your team. So third question, and this is we've alluded to earlier in the first half of the show, is about a mental training exercise. Like I said, I'm very my brain's very attuned to tactical play. So games like XCOM and things like that, I'm I'm very much at home with. But when it comes to games like, well, the classic would be chess or something like that, I'm profoundly bad at because it requires you to create a um, series of moves on the assumption that the response would be predictable because they're responding to the moves that you've got two or three or five or six or ten moves ahead. Um, and I found that Wildfire Swap encourages the player to predict several moves ahead in order to well, succeed. What do you do without being too obvious? What do you do to encourage this way of thinking of the player? What have you done in the design, whether deliberate or or deliberate or indeed by accident? I think a lot of that comes down to the, the puzzle construction, which I think Drew, uh, Drew, should, Drew should dive into if, you, if you're feeling it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I think a important part is that the for the player to be able to think a few moves ahead, they need to understand the tools they have to work with. And so that's been a big focus. Um, in terms of building the levels themselves, they mostly develop themselves organically, um, where it will just be like, hey, this is a cool little sequence, and how can we... Uh, get the player to do that instead of something else. And that actually goes very far. Um, and then playtesting, capturing a bunch of alternative solutions and designing around those later too. Uh, a simple idea can end up being a very large and complicated level. Which leads me on, and I've got, I've got to thank you because this, this well, uh, Wildfire Swap has done a great job of actually forcing my brain to go into an area that I'm not comfortable the brain's not very comfortable doing it. It has to do it in order to succeed in Wildfire Swap. And I want to do better because when I'm playing these big strategy games uh, on, on Tabletop Simulator, which I do with friends at the moment, we normally play we normally play like games like Twilight Imperium and stuff like that face to face, but we can't at the moment, so we've had to go online. And it's been it's a bit difficult when uh, when especially when a player tries to negotiate with me because I'm looking at them going. I've got nothing to negotiate with, with because you're assuming I have a plan. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look at me like, what? I'm, I'm making it up as I go along. I'm really, I, you know. And, yeah, I play the uh, same way. <laughs> yeah. And it's quite, you know, someone described it as like, Chris, it's like playing with a madman. Like, thank you. <laughs> so, but um, I want to talk a little bit more about the level design of wildfire swap you can't have a puzzle game like this and not talk about this and the way i want to talk about it, there's some there's a couple that really um it it's the naming of them it's very clever there's one that um had me chuckle was called um, independent isolation it's very early on i think it's level two 
But can you talk us through? I mean, you already expanded on this, but just really a little bit more depth on the thought processes on from A to B on how you create these levels. Uh, well, shout out to Ryan for naming that one. Um, we actually had all of the development names in there until about a week before we released, and the development names make almost no sense generally. Right. So a lot of playtesters were like, yeah, I, I don't understand why this is number six and there haven't been five other of these levels. So, um, Yeah, so I think the most important thought for me while creating levels is what is this level for? Um, wildfire swap, I think takes a pretty simple approach to the difficulty curve where, um, we'll try to have one level introducing a mechanic and that will generally be an easy level. The focus being what's the best way to show the player this new thing happening. And then after that will be kind of a, a playground level or set of levels, um, and these are just like easier levels for the player to practice applying what they've just learned, hopefully. Um, and then following that is kind of a set of challenge levels, um, which are like, okay, hopefully you're a little bit comfortable with this new mechanic or um, pattern. Uh, and we're just going to make it a little harder. We're going to obscure this, uh, the application of this pattern with just a couple moves in the beginning or at the end, you know, so it's a little harder to find. Um, and, and then a lot of levels are actually speaking of independent isolation, that is two smaller levels like glued together because, uh, they didn't have a place by themselves, but together they make up a, a bigger, more interesting level that, um, had the more appropriate difficulty for the position that it's at. Yeah, and I'm not going to reveal what happened, but that that one had me going, no, undo. Oh, no, see, now it's gone up, no. <laughs> it was just so <laughs> yeah. beautifully developed. It's like, this is layer upon layer of puzzles. I'm sorry, not puzzles, patterns that I need to isolate. And that's why I lo what I love about the naming, uh, I don't want to big yourself up, Ryan, but it's just the, the amount of times I look at it going, why is it called that? I know it's a clue. I know it's because <laughs> it, it's you know the best ones are like oh yeah fast grass yeah it is isn't it yeah <laughs> it's just, yeah <laughs> I mean it's just it's just lovely and I just um it's a lovely lovely sort of um, touch a human touch to the game yeah and uh, yeah it's, a, it's an inspired uh, idea yeah I think that was that was the really that was the kind of the point of it I think was to add some extra layers of like. Like if you're really stuck on something, give you something else to kind of reason about, distract your brain from the core puzzle. And then the naming was just made possible at all because of that focus Drew was talking about, right? Like the levels aren't just random, they're intentional, they have a purpose they're trying to get for. Uh, and then it comes down to uh, trying to find a, find a level that is like, uh, or a name, sorry, that like kind of relates to, to the experience of solving or, or the intention of, of the solve or... Uh, just just some sort of way to provide a little more context. Um, the the game is so light on text. Like I think the level names are are one of the few places where we have any any agency at all to like communicate in in words with the player. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of I mean again keep it simple, right? Like it's not a <laughs> it's not like a four step uh, hint process or whatever. 
Um, but we, we wanted to, to engage a little more in a kind of fun way. And you have, and you did, and it's just, it's just a lovely little touch that you didn't, you could have, like I said, just numbered them, World 1, 01, worked with Mario, right? You know, it's, you could have done that, but it becomes dispassionate, it becomes just a mechanical thing, like, oh, I'm now up to level such and such. Now it's just like, where are you at this, this next world? I don't know, is it the seventh one, I think? I don't know. I know it's called um, um, Dribble Shift. Oh, oh really? I'm, I'm making it up, but uh, okay. What's that mean? No idea, but it's meant to be a clue as to how to get over this. And uh, there are many times I'm, well, not yelling, but just sort of like scratching my head, looking at the screen going, why have you called it that? I know it's, <laughs> what? oh, and then right when you solve it, you go, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I see that now. But it's uh, it's a nice yeah. little nudge without actually pointing at the thing going, okay, now press this square because you never do that. Yeah, I, I also want to note that it, naming these was really helpful in development because we could actually remember what level we were talking about, even if the dev name didn't make sense. It's like, have you have you beaten Swizzlebing too? And it's like, oh yeah, that one, that was good or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah exactly. um, whereas if it was just numbers, there it would have been really hard to manage. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah, again, yeah. a human touch thing that came out by accident more than design. Yeah, it was it was definitely yeah. a property of like needing to have humans interact with them because uh, because we don't actually in Wildfire Swap we intentionally didn't want a linear like strictly linear game uh, and because of that like numeric like one two three four five would have kind of even though we scattered them not in a line the puzzles it would still have implied a, a preferred ordering which there truly isn't in the game uh, and so it, yeah definitely a side effect of that was like thoughtful naming ended up being like the most effective uh, development strategy and like playtester strategy. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, here we are. Wildfire swap was developed by Ryan Kubrick games. Now at this point, I would ask the developer where they got the name from, but I think I know. Where did the My parents. parents <laughs> indeed. Uh, but we've had some very interesting stories about uh, naming. Normally, three AM discussion. Like, okay, bearded melon. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> we'll be called that. Uh, but it is out now on Steam. Now, do you want to reveal the platforms? Because I get this wrong sometimes. I get in trouble. Yeah, we're we're on Windows, Mac, and Linux. You are uh, indeed. Yes, yeah. I've played it on both my PC and Mac um, laptop. Uh, which is now six Great. years old, but uh, it's still going. It's Impressive, still, yeah. They're, they're nice. like, yeah, that's old. For yeah, that is old for her, but they keep going. That's why I got it. That's why I paid that little bit extra. Because I travel, well, I used to travel a lot. Sad face. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be back again. But um, Ryan and Drew, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It really has. Um, yeah, thanks so so much for having us. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, thanks. It's um, great. I'm really, really happy to see Wildfire Swap out there in the wild because um, I was very excited when I first saw it. I thought, oh, see, they made a game specifically for Chris. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, I was just, I, was, I mean, I, what I remember of it is how vibrant the blue was. I don't know why, but the background blue, you did the, the, I do remember that really contrasting well with the uh, with the maps. And that was really a subtle thing that drew my attention 
So well done for that. Whether that was intentional or not, I suspect it was. But uh, yeah, very and nice. It the wasn't blues a Sega have gone blue. through a lot of iterations. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't Sega Blue Sky, but we've been through that, right? I mean, you know, do we have to see that again? You know? But uh, no, it's very well well put together, and um, we do wish you the very best of luck with it, and um, would love to have you back on because we do have return guests uh, to chat about whatever next is up your sleeves. But until then, thank you very much. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again. Hope you have a good day. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canonrince.com.